Well, Bill Narden was one of those steadfast guys. Have you had one of those people in your life, one of those immovable rocks, those that you could rely on, those that you looked up to, those that labored, not in vain? Well, Bill Narden was one of those people for me. Bill was one of the elders I worked for when I worked in Colorado. He helped plant the church there in Colorado. And he was a retired man, and even in his retirement, he put me to shame. He taught math classes part-time. He designed and built the church that we met in. He spent time teaching in prisons almost on a weekly basis and in a nursing home, doing Bible studies in those places. He studied Civil War history for fun, better than I ever could, even though I love Civil War history. He was such a buff on those things. And here the thing was, he wasn't self-righteous about any of these things. He was gracious and kind. He let me borrow his car for three months when, my car, when our car died. He let us use his mountain home uh, for my kids. And he always was someone that I could go and talk to. You know, I always wondered, who is this guy? How did he get to that place? Well, I got to hear some of his history, that he used to be a colonel in the Air Force. And early on in him working in the Air Force and in his marriage, he struggled mightily. He became a Christian in the military and early in his marriage, and it changed him. Not long after, both his wife and him became Christians. His wife became sick. In her sickness, she became blind. And Bill became her caretaker. They never had kids. And his wife, Jean, was the love of his life. I never got to meet Jean. In fact, she died just before I started working at the church. But here's the thing. Even though Bill lost the love of his life, he faced a lot of hardship in his life, he still served the Lord faithfully. Bill was one of those people in my life. Have you had someone like that? Again, immovable, steadfast. Well, it wasn't long before we moved here to Appleton, Wisconsin, that I stood next to the gravesite where we lowered Bill Narden into the ground. Those are searing memories. You might have memories like that, people you've lost. Brothers and sisters, my question for us this morning is, how do we remain steadfast against such an enemy like death? How do I, this morning, Easter morning, give an upbeat, cheery Easter message with what is happening all around us? Well, today, we're going to look at the passage that I read at Bill Narden's graveside. As he was lowered into the ground, I read this passage to the church family in Colorado as they lost a mentor, a friend, and an elder. My question is, will it make our church steadfast and immovable and labor even in suffering and death. Let's look together, shall we?
1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 58. Let's pay attention as we read God's word. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body was put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The word of the Lord. We were just joining us. We've been going through the letter to the Corinthians, and we've been camping out in chapter 15, the resurrection chapter. And we've been building to this place, right? To Easter morning. Here it is, Easter Sunday, where we talk about resurrection life in a passage that is so fitting for that. Chapter 15 and verses 50 through 58. Well, I see Paul in this letter has gone through issue after issue, addressing the sexual ethics of the church, what the church is supposed to do in worship, idolatry, and all the division that's happening over these debates. And he's given solutions throughout Corinthians about how to deal with these things. But here is where he ends, Corinthians. Here is the stabilizer. What can cause us to be immovable? See, as he crescendos that argument of the resurrection here in the last nine verses, he gives us in the last verse of this passage a therefore. Because of all I've said about this in chapter 15 about the resurrection, all of this theological understanding of what the resurrection means for us, this is what it should do in you. This is what should come from it. Therefore, you shall presently be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Well, a few weeks ago, I was alone on my couch. All my ladies were upstairs working on a puzzle and they heard a scream that sounded like Clary, but it came from me because there was a bat flying around the living room. I hate bats. I cannot stand them. Spiders, no problem. Mice, no problem. Snakes, fine. But I am freaked about bats. Maybe it's household trauma, your childhood trauma, me growing up. We had a lot of bats in our house growing up, and sometimes my family left me alone to a bat in a room. It was bad, okay? And so my first reaction to bats is flight and screaming like a seven-year-old girl. But once I get the tennis racket 
the flight mentality is done and the fight mentality takes hold. And I took care of that bat. I'm ashamed that I did it in that way, but that's what I had to do because I hate bats. I long for the day that I can be like my dad. He, when bats would be in the house, I would remember just watching. He would just slowly take his big net and he would just walk around and the bat would be circling around him and everything. And he would just slowly and tenderly get the bat, trap it in the net, take it outside and let it go. Steadfast, immovable. We're in a great time of uncertainty. My question is, what is your bat right now in this time? Is it fear of getting sick? Is it fear of family members getting sick? Is it losing income? Is it being stuck with your family in quarantine for another month? Some of us respond by running running from these issues that are all around. We might be sleeping in late. Yes, might be in malaise, trying to ignore it all. Might do it by eating a lot of food, watching Netflix on repeat. We just try to run from what's happening around us. Some of us fight We don't just put on one mask, we put on double masks. We don't just Lysol everything once, we Lysol it multiple times. We check the news every hour to make sure anything has changed. We work extra hard to show that our position is still necessary in our job. Our response is fighting this thing. Paul is saying in this passage that resurrection hope doesn't give us a disposition of fight or flight. Instead, it is a disposition of a long obedience in the same direction. I've said it before to you as a congregation. I'll say it again. This is a great time to be a Christian, to show hope, to labor faithfully, to be steadfast. It is our time to be able to present the gospel to others. It's like my dad with a bat swirling around him. Like Bill Narden after the death of his wife. See, the theology of the resurrection is crucial to the way that we live. And here, Paul drives it home in a passionate way. I'm going to frame this and this message and theological message of the gospel, if we get it and how we'll make it steadfast first in a negative way. So how if we don't see it in the right way, it causes us to be movable and not steadfast. Here it is, number one, our fight. This is what we could do. The fight mentality can come from living as if our corruptible bodies can inherit heaven. That can cause us to fight when we face the issue of death and suffering. Two, the flight mentality. We can live as if death is still victorious. So the fight, 
living as if our corruptible bodies can somewhat inherit heaven. And the flight is living as if death is still victorious. So let's look at the first one, fight, verses 50 through 53. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. I'm just going to read that verse for right now and say this. There was an idea of some sort of existence among pretty much all the Romans at that time of an existence after death. And uh, that idea of some sort of existence after death was not foreign to many Romans at that time. What was controversial and different was this message of Christianity that said that there was life after death, but it had a bodily existence. See, for pagan culture, Roman culture, their hope was to get rid of the body. And here, people might think, well, that's what Paul is saying in verse 50. I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. He's talking about getting rid of the body. No, that, again, that's not the argument Paul has made before this. It's not the argument of Scripture, not the argument of Jesus. No, instead, flesh and blood is being used here as a Hebrew idiom. It's an idiom that means that we have a frail, mortal, fallen humanity. That is the picture of flesh and blood. A picture of humanity that is feeble. A picture that has been corrupted by sin. See, the Christian message and what's been argued in chapter 15 is the body needs to be transformed. We need to take on a new body, an imperishable body, an immortal body. See, Paul is arguing the body like we have right now, this corruptible body, this flesh and blood body, can't coexist with an eternal holy God. Until it is rid of sin and imperfection, it cannot live with God and holiness for eternity. Well, what Paul also is arguing in this passage in verses 50 through 53, that this is true not just for the dead, but it's also true for the living. So there's somewhat of an understanding in, in churches in that day and in Christianity that the dead might be second-class citizens. They've succumbed to death. They have lost the battle. Truth is, I don't see that very foreign from some Christians today. Some groups in Christian circles see that sickness and death is a lack of faith. I've even seen people argue today about the virus. If you really are a Christian, you'll be protected from this virus if you just have enough faith. See, that message is nonsense. Chapter 15 says this, all of us are incorruptible bodies. That if we truly want to be with God for eternity, our bodies need to be transformed. They need to put on something different. The language kind of clothing of putting on clothing is used multiple times in this passage. Here we are. Easter. Resurrection Sunday. What is the great hope of the resurrection? 
that Christ did it? Yeah. But is it simply that he lived morally? He taught us some good things? That now we can live in this metaphorical resurrection life? Is that really what the message of the resurrection is? Something metaphorical? That now we too can be kind, we can love people, we can take on resurrection life because Christ lived a good life, now we can live a good life too. No, that is not the language of this passage in the language of resurrection. Again, the language is putting something on. It's not simply being like Christ. It's being transformed by him. We need his resurrection life. We need his imperishable life. We need his immortality, his perfect life. We need that to be able to stand next to a holy God in eternity. It's not simply infusion. It's imputation. That we receive his righteousness and he takes our perishable bodies that are also what? Flesh and blood. Sin. Well, this is good news. The good news is that we can do nothing in ourselves to have this imperishable body. One more sit-up to preserve that imperishable six-pack is not going to do it, right? One more injection in your forehead or your cheek is not going to make you young forever. I wonder how much time and energy do we spend worrying over, fighting over, thinking that we can make this body immortal. No matter how many face masks we wear, no matter how many times we wash our hands, no matter how much we avoid people, we will never be able to avoid that our body is going to perish. See, I think this fight response to immortality doesn't make us steadfast. Instead, it creates a people that just compare themselves to other. Worried about getting older. Worried that I'm not getting the most out of this life. You see, the resurrection of Christ makes the body imperishable. And when we see that, we can be faithful to what God has given us. We cannot make our labor in vain. Rather than constantly fighting to maintain this perishable body, we can trust in what he has given us. Are you living in that truth right now? As your home being forced to be at still? Or are you fighting and fighting? I want to get out. I want to do more. I want to do this. I've got to look good after I get out of this quarantine. I better look like I've lost weight. If you want immortality, put on Christ. And now is the time to be able to do that as you're being still. So one response is fighting. The other is running. It's flight. See this in verses 54 through 56. Here's one of the most quoted 
parts of Scripture, deservedly so. Here, Paul in verse 54 and 55 is quoting from Hosea and Isaiah, beautifully poetic, and he's taking his spin on it. See, here, Paul is poetically making death to be depicted as a real enemy. This is something that battles against us. And there is a war that has taken place. You see, death throughout Scripture is depicted as an enemy. I'm amazed how some think that death is not an enemy. Some people have kind of spun passages and take it out of context to live as Christ, to die as gain. That means that, you know, it's okay to rush death. You know, if I die, that's okay. Some people I've noticed today in, the, in this time of quarantine, some pastors say we should still meet together. We should still get together, even if it risks our health and our lives, because it might rush us to Christ. That is wrong thinking about how we see death. Death is a real enemy. Death is not something we should rush. Death is not the way it's supposed to be. I remember as cancer was wasting away my friend Bill Narden, it was very, very hard to see and watch. And then to see life taken away from his body was a tough image to take I tried to run from it. I tried to stuff those images and those, those things. I had a very good pastor, a friend, as I was thinking on these things. And he said to me, Dan, it's okay to be affected by this. Death is ugly. Death is hard. There is a sting. See, Paul is saying, death is very real. And it's a result of our sin. Whenever we go to a funeral, whenever we see someone die, we should acknowledge, why did this happen? It happened because of us, of humanity. This is a result of our sin, of our rebellion. And here is a real enemy, sin and death, that ravages humanity. And we're seeing it now. I know it's been in vogue to hide death, to dress it up, to make it look like, oh, this is just a natural part of life. Suffering is just part of what we do. No, the Christian worldview doesn't say that. It names suffering and death as a real enemy. So what do we do? with this real enemy. When we see this great thing that is coming, do we run? Try to hide it? Dress it up? I think many of us try to ignore it. We fill our lives with things that can numb the pain of seeing other people in our lives that have died. Or maybe what we might face one day can numb it through alcohol or video games or toys or vacations. And for some worldviews outside of Christianity, this suffering death is simply a figment 
something that we're supposed to conquer in our mind. It's not something real. It doesn't matter if you shut yourself in your house and binge Netflix as much as you can. You are not going to be able to drown out what is happening around this world right now. It's not going to come to the point where we emerge from our homes and we're gathering with other people and then we will say, guess what? Death has now been defeated because now we can gather together. See, the hope of Easter isn't that one day we can gather together and celebrate. It's not Easter baskets with chocolate and bunnies and wearing pastels, although those things are fun. That's not what makes Easter wonderful. I love what Paul does in this passage. It makes it so good. Paul taunts this great enemy, death. This very real enemy that leaves many people with scars and loss of loved ones and images, he taunts it and he says, here is one that took on this enemy, literally dying, and he conquered it. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord, Jesus Christ. Christ is victor. You know, I wondered how Bill Martin kept steadfast. He labored after the love of his life died. Two years ago, as a church, we too lost one of our own elders. Bruce Marker. And I've watched his wife, Carol, remain steadfast. Doesn't mean she doesn't have hard days, doesn't cry, doesn't mourn the loss of her husband. But how does she remain steadfast and movable and continue to labor in the Lord? You see, Bill Narden, Carol Marker, other people that we see, they have let the theology of the resurrection take hold of their lives. They have seen death personally. And they have seen that there's a victor over it. So how can we do it, brothers and sisters, in the midst of the suffering and death that we see around us right now? We can be steadfast because we have one that has defeated the great enemy of death, Christ the Lord. So again, hear these words and let them sink in. These words that I gave to the church in Colorado when Bill Narden died. The same words I read at the gravesite of Bruce Marker. May it now motivate us as the church, the hope of the resurrection. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, 
and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. <laughs>